Welcome to Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Matt Leach and I'm here again with Joe Rocker. Hello again. How are you? <laughs> I'm <am> good. <laughs> We're coming to the end of the Adobe Symposium. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been... Intense. It's been intense. <laughs> I feel quite tired. We've done, we've done quite a few interviews, which has been great. It's incredibly well organised, which is always a really nice thing to come to, you know, a conference that you feel that, that someone has planned this sort of thing and it's <laughs> happening the way it should be happening. Need to thank Adobe, obviously, for letting us speak to all these guests. Um, so we've had really amazing access, which has really been good. Uh, Flynn running around out there somewhere, putting out fires. And obviously Streamtime, who has been a major supporter for us and has helped us get to where we are. We are very close to 100, which we've talked about before. I think I'm just going to keep on talking about it every episode. <laughs> until you until hear, someone, like <laughs> someone says, you should do this for 100. I'll be like, that's a good idea. But who do we have with us today? So today, ladies and gentlemen, we have the amazing Prue. As describing her as a mother creative director at Fjord. Design uh, slash creative director. Yes. Design slash creative director at Fjord. And... I, I had to write this, but a woman who's not afraid to say what she thinks. And I say that simply because I remember the first time I met you at the lobby of a hotel in Brisbane. And you're, you know, you were talking about your presentation and about technology. And it was just like so passionate. I'm like, this is two minutes in and I'm already like, who is this woman? <laughs> I need to talk to her. So, yeah. So welcome to the show. Wow, that's an amazing first impression. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So you've had an interesting morning. Um, I have. The, with Accenture, yep. they have a, what would you call it, a podcast booth set yeah. up? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's something we're calling the 2AM Club. Yes. Uh, so we were inviting CEOs, CMOs, clients, you know, heavy hitters in the industry. I, I was on it yesterday. So oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> see. Pretty heavy. Case in point, Matt. <laughs> um, yeah, we were invite, inviting them into the booth to ask them, what keeps them up at night? So when they wake bolt upright at 2am, what's on their mind? So this morning, oh, I just can't believe this even happened. It was like an out-of-body experience. This morning, I got to interview Cindy Gallup in wow. the booth. And she is my absolute hero. Like, I stalk her relentlessly on social. I wish I could. Uh, so one, one of the things that is, is awesome is you can, you can put headphones on outside and listen to what's happening inside Yes. The thing. So yes. I, if I'd known it was happening, yeah, I know, right? Why? Why is she your hero? Oh, uh, because she. She's awesome. Because yeah, because like <laughs> hello. Because I want to be her when I grow up. I mean, like honestly, she's she's just she just she's so so articulate. I've never met anybody so just so. Oh, she's just complete. She blows me away. Like mm. in in every aspect, she's just an amazing woman. And and what she's done for women in the industry, you know, it's. It's so badly needed and she's the best person. To do. I love the way she, she describes herself as the Michael Bay of business. I think that that's like so apt. You know, she, like she just drops truth bombs mm-hmm. here and there and everywhere. Truth bombs, she drops truth bombs and jaws. Love it. When I hear her speak and when, when she drops those truth bombs, yeah. I think how is she so far ahead of the conversation as it's happening that mm. she can think when to drop that in? Yeah. Oh. Where I'm, I'm always, I walk away later and I go, should have said. I know. I know. I know. That's the bane of my existence. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 
the yeah. amount of conversations I've had that's like I should have said this or ah. you or you, and you, and you replay that conversation the yeah. way it should have gone <laughs> so obvious that it's, I should have yeah. led with this but I, yeah such an incredible skill such an incredible skill and she I mean she, I think well in, to my mind she was definitely the peak of the speaker lineup yesterday and of course Tim Urban mm. yeah in fact, if, if Tim Urban and Cindy Gallup had a love child, no. I would like to be <laughs> that love child. That would be, that would be amazing. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So I want to kick this interview off because this has been a long time coming mm-hmm. uh, in the sense we've wanted you on. It just it never, for whatever reason, we couldn't make it happen. Yeah. So there's quite a few questions that have been building up over time. Uh, okay, sure. <laughs> but w- one, of the, one of the things I think a lot of people don't understand your background and where, where, Mm because I mean, it's over, is it over 30 years in the industry? Yes, yes. It's a long time. So take us back to, do you, you I just, I don't know if I can even (laughs) cast my mind back that far. I mean, all right. So back in the days when everything was simple, right? You, you know, you, you went to school, you had an aptitude for something. In my case, it was art. You kind of went to university and then you kind of did that thing and, and you just went into a profession and you did that forever. But, you know, what's happened with design is just so extraordinary. So, yeah, basically that is my story. I'm very interested in fine art, actually. I was going to become the world's greatest painter, right? It's um, not too late. <laughs> yeah, I've forgotten how to draw. No, I haven't. Um, and, you know, I kind of had a, one of those wake-up moments where I was like, oh, who are you kidding? Like, you know, there's that sort of competing, you know, need to also be able to make money and survive. Mm-hmm. And I sort of looked around and I went, oh, are there any sort of really you know, great female artists making a living out of this? And really couldn't think of any. So I kind of did that thing of, oh, well, you know, I can, I can still be creative and I can channel my creativity instead of into fine art, because I can always do that on the side, into design. And that's a commercial career doing something. So did you love. pursue your art career as in your art um, degree? And then moved, or did you have that aha moment before studying? Uh, no, while while I was okay. studying, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I sort of did a. I actually did a, um, a a certificate of art and design at Box Hill TAFE, and d- that was like a folio preparation thing for design school. And as part of that, it was getting together. You know, you could still have creative outlets. There were all sorts of electives you could do, like filmmaking and printmaking and all of that, because of course design consisted of painting yeah. like what like gouache paint mm-hmm. like yeah. refining those skills and and using french curves mm-hmm. like yeah. and, and i'm probably saying words that people out there listening are just going what the hell are those well, yeah. we spoke to james Derees yesterday and he was saying he thinks something's been lost from learning those skills mm. because you actually are able to bring those into digital in a much much better way because mm. you understand how how it works mm. and, and why the the pen tool does those curves that it yeah. does. Busy, yeah. So sorry. Keep. I sort of went to Box Hill and then applied to a variety of design courses and got accepted into all of them. Uh, so chose Swinburne because at that point that seemed to be the apex of design design courses. So I had four years there and did uh, honours and then yeah, went out into the world as a graphic designer. So that's kind of how it So you, you, you said that with a, with a strange look on your face. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I am gobsmacked still. I mean, you, you, so both times that I've uh, spoken at the design conference in Brisbane, I had that, 
the tool to sort of live poll the audience and interesting to kind of see where, where everyone is in design mm. now. And graphic design is still huge, mm. but which I guess because, I, I mean, I don't think of design in that way anymore. Design is now, you know, a huge thing and it's gone from, you know, you used to think about designing a coffee table book yeah. mm-hmm. or a poster mm-hmm. or something like that. And now we're sort of designing services and yeah. experiences and, uh, yeah, it sort of leads into an idea uh, I've been having recently about redesigning the whole world, which sounds crazy. But it's, it's, it's also logical. Com- coming from someone else maybe. but <laughs> <laughs> um, Because, yeah, we're, we're finding ourselves in a bit of a, a pickle at the moment or, you know, uh, you heard Tim Urban's keynote when he was talking about, you know, we really are at this point in history where things, we are at that pivotal moment and mm. no one's really taking that seriously. He's right. People, because we think in such a linear fashion, we don't, we can't really imagine what this new future will be like. And the, and the time is now to kind of make sure all this technology is going to work properly and not end up in the situation where we're going to have some robot overlords or something. Yeah. But we're, we're at this, it's going to completely transform the way we live, work and everything. So what better time than now to actually consciously redesign the whole system? Mm. I mean, you know, thinking about political structures and mm-hmm. every, everything that's like so exciting the, 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 the concept of money even like mm. uh, everything yeah. like everything needs to be looked at and particularly you know now is the right time to uh but how do we do that because because i've had this conversation many times yeah. and it, it's it becomes it's not a new idea no but it becomes fit philosophical in in the sense that we, we can't attack everything at once i think a, that, that's a, the whole AI problem could, like maybe. they're, they're yes. genuinely called wicked problems yeah, yeah, because of that. For right? a reason. For yeah. a reason. And, and one of the, I think there's a couple of principles to become a wicked problem, but one of them is it cannot be solved. But the other one is you must still try. It you, you, it's mm. like, it's one of those yeah. that you're like, it is easy for us to put it on the wicked problem, put it in the drawer, close it. Yeah. And future humans will worry about it or not because they won't exist. But yeah. someone has to do something. And, yeah. and we are we are the people that have to do something now. Mm-hmm. So I guess the whole, I don't know why I'm answering this question. Answer this question. No, no, I, I, I just think it's, it's really, I, it's, it's just been a really interesting kind of thing to watch. Like design once was, like I was saying, it's like quite banal really, you know, as a profession. And then, now, yeah, now, I mean, it could literally, we designers, and this sounds really egotistical, but the designers could be the people who saved the world. Mm-hmm. How did you come to that realisation in your career? So you, you came out as a graphic design, then what? Then what happened? Oh, like, like all graphic designers, <laughs> I went and worked in advertising. Uh-huh. Uh, no, no, that was, that was not a logical thing. But, but it, you know, the conceptual <laughs> side of things, it's not, okay, so it's one thing to make something look nice, and that was very much a focus at design school. But I've always sort of been interested in the idea behind, like what, what is this, it's not... Communication for communication's sake. Something beautiful for the for the sake of beauty. That's fine, but that's that's usually art's job. Mm. I, yeah, I've always just been drawn to the conceptual and and expressing an idea in a way that makes it very easy for people to understand. So advertising obviously seemed like the right thing to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that was a, a hilarious time, really. Advertising agencies in the nineties. 
holding on to the 80s. Oh my God, yes, <laughs> very much so. We recently were reading a book called E. I don't know if you've read it. No. It's a bunch of emails from an ad agency um, in London. So the email, the book is entirely emails from one oh, person yeah. to another. I need to read it this book. It is hilarious, yeah. but it is so accurate in yeah. the way of like, all the gossip, all the bureaucracy, yeah. all the, the the person that sends at 11 p.m. and all staff because mm-hmm. you know it's just the the creative director that doesn't do anything but takes all the credit. Yeah. it's just it's just so oh, bang on. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So how did you transition out of advertising? Well, that's a, that's sort of not a really easy answer. While I was in advertising, I I was naturally like I was an art director like that sort of translates with your visual design skills and then because of the con- the love of the conceptual in me I kind of went also and spent some time for a while as on the other side of the fence as a writer so I guess from advertising I sort of kept dipping back in from advertising to design whatever and I eventually ended up in a startup I was invited to come and be sort of like a creative director in a startup and and um that was that was funny times as well actually the, what we were doing was really quite uh, cutting edge and it was the time that a lot of out of home advertising was just sort of starting up in this country and we sort of did a big pilot we were going to put a um a narrowcast network inside of uh either Coles or Woolworth basically that that was aimed at selling at the shelf edge uh products so screens right there so a narrowcast yeah so in, instead of a broadcast like tv or whatever right. narrowcast sort of in in a gotcha. specific location yep. And we also sort of developed um, channels, narrowcast channels for a major bank and also a major liquor outlet. And, and, you know, those are still running today, albeit sort of in a different way. But we were sort of the first to do that. And, uh, yeah, that, that was sort of a really interesting kind of time as well because that sort of startup culture thing was a bit new. And, like, at that time I actually I became pregnant. And while I was on maternity leave, so this story is now t- taking a turn into the personal. So while I was on maternity leave, the startup folded because even though it had been such a huge success, one of the supermarkets that we worked with, I won't say which one, actually said, well, thanks very much for all these great learnings you've given us and paid for at your own expense to pro- you know, for proof of concept. We think we might um, just sit on this for a while, <laughs> and I suppose it's because of the nature of uh, you know retail in this country. Our supermarkets it's a bit of a duopoly, mm-hmm. I mean, whatever. So they, in fact, even though this technology was incredibly effective, they actually didn't need it. Right. So, wow. So um, we're winning. So yeah, unfortunately, the, the startup folded. This also co- coincided with my relationship breaking down. So, like, perfect storm of all things. Wow. So I sort of had this newborn, no no job, and um, had to sort of uh, think about I'm going to start again. And actually it was really good because it gave me a minute to think about, you know, up at, you know, when you're up at 3 o'clock in the morning feeding your child, what am I going to do next? Yeah. Mm. Like, wow. It's, it's like a complete end of chapter, end uh, of yeah, yeah. new book. It's like, how, like the, when, the, when Saturn returns. Yeah. Yeah. Some. Some. I don't know. I've heard about this Saturn return thing. Oh, okay. And right. I'm like, it's one I of those. I thought you like, said when Saddam returns. <laughs> at, 
because he's back. Yeah, he's yeah, back, Prue. Right. <laughs> yeah, don't, but it did feel like that at the time. Um, have you met my ex? No, just joking. Um, yeah, so, yeah, aside from fall into a bit of a heap, which I gave myself permission to do for a little while, it was, right, okay, so going to redefine the future of my career, want to do something that, I feel has longevity, et cetera, et cetera, now that I'm going to be the sole parent to this child. So, yeah, sort of naturally uh, gravitated towards more digital. And at that point, digital was really taking off. Uh, it sounds funny to, you know, to say digital because no one should say that anymore because that's just the way things are now. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, went into a sort of a boutique digital agency. And, and I think it was actually amazing because getting part-time work in any kind of sort of design, digital advertising agency is really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But So I kind of lucked out there. So It's even tough today, but I imagine yeah. it would have been even yeah. tougher then. Yeah. So to have something regular but part-time um, was really good. Because it wasn't like you could work from home uh, or anything. Oh, or God. I'll, I'll just Anyone who has children yeah. knows that working from home <laughs> I had all these fantasies about it. You know, oh, yeah, it'll be, you know, just child will just play quietly over there and I'll get so much done. No. And that's never I think that's what my husband thinks. Really gonna happen. He's like, but you'll go back. It's it's just you can work from home and he has all these projects that I'm meant to do when I'm on maternity leave and I'm like, hang on a minute. (laughs) Total delusion. Total Yeah. So Um, so at that at that point though, why why digital? Well you, you could have chosen anything. When you say could have chosen anything, I didn't feel like that it was the right time for a career change. Mm-hmm. Right. It might have just been the straw that broke the camel's back. So it was a career evolution. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, more of that. And I, was, and it, I loved the idea of the immediacy of it. You know, when you send something to print mm-hmm. and you screw it up, it lives with you forever. <laughs> but when you're, you know, when you when working, it's like, oh, just push those pixels back where they should be and yeah. bam, no one will ever, ever know. Yeah, it just seemed a lot more... A lot more fun. The possibilities were sort of a bit more endless, I suppose. Mm. And you didn't have to commit to sort of an idea ever. You can, it can always change and mm-hmm. be improved. And, you know. mm. and then there seems like there's another evolution that happened where you went from kind of doing the digital work to almost planning the digital work and forecasting the digital work and, and kind of really mm. thinking about the future and I, and I guess I'm thinking about the last couple of years where yeah it's so funny because people are like oh yeah you're, you're like an expert in artificial intelligence and stuff like that aren't you I'm like uh no I'm not really I just have a huge interest in it and I um I read a lot about it I find it endlessly fascinating all sorts of future technology mm-hmm. you know robot what's happening in robotics at the moment is incredible like the one thing that I'm really interested in at the moment is sex robots. Um, and okay, I, I did not expect that. To yeah, be. Uh, <laughs> quick. <laughs> no, don't. No, it's you, there's a there's a documentary at the moment, and it's called "The Sex Robots Are Coming," and I encourage you to watch it. I am going to watch uh, it. It's sort don't, of equal don't parts. Don't watch it now, Joe. <laughs> no, it's, it's equal parts kind of creepy and sad. Right. Um, and what it sort of says, I mean, and this is how it all ties into gender, so it's, like, really interesting to me. I, I, like, I'm really concerned about this development because the way we anthropomorphise technology is is kind of a bit scary. We have some now robots in, mm. our, um, in our studio and I read something about uh, recently they did an experiment where 
They programmed a now robot to plead with someone who was about to shut it down not to shut it down. Please don't turn me off. Oh, Please no. don't turn me off. Yeah, you know, and this is a thing made of plastic and metal no. that does not have any kind of cognitive ability. 40% of people, I think the figure was, actually paused and made them, it made them not want to mm-hmm. turn it off. But, I mean, the way this relates back to sex robots is that and until we have genuine artificial intelligence with consciousness, which is coming at some point but these things are just you know scripted to to kind of mirror what somebody would want them to say it's like oh you know you're so you're so virile i could sit and look at you my question on this all this kind of stuff and it's like being programmed to say that the are these sex robots being designed by men and uh, they are no no well funnily (laughs) enough if you've ever heard of a company called real dolls Mm -hmm. In, in there in based in California. So they, new to me. This, I'm oh sitting God. here with a stunned expression yeah. on my face. <laughs> okay. This because is then it's going to be a biased sex it? robot. It's going to be one of those, we, it's going to be like porn designed um, by men for men. Correct. <laughs> and if you've seen the anatomy of these dolls, you're absolutely right. Because, um, yeah, I mean, so the real dolls, um, they they have for quite a few years now. I think I think they started in two thousand and six actually. So they make life size silicon, um, basically sex dolls with all the right anatomy. Exaggerated anatomy. Well, yeah, yeah. of course. But and this is the creepy, sad part. Like they show you scenes of the, um, you know, where they're produced, and there are literally headless female bodies hanging up. All on uh, the production like a line. Meat yeah. yeah, yeah, and, and this is what this is. Yeah. This is where it gets scary for me is because if if we have sex robots replacing actual women in some, you know, robots, like we were saying before, robots can be very convincing. Even if they're programmed to say stuff to you, you anthropomorphize them so much that you imbue them with, with consciousness mm. when it's not there. People reacting to these lumps of silicon um, and computer chips uh, like they're people. One of the guys interviewed in the documentary had owned one of these you know, uh, sex dolls, not a, not a, uh, a robot, but just a, a sex doll. And this is the thing, you know, he said he'd actually uh, inherited one from somebody else and he said it came to him with a lot of damage uh, and, you know, like with stab marks and things in it. You know what I mean? So he spent time restoring and caring for this sex doll. Um, which happened to be, and they are all, for the majority, they're all sort of aged about 20, which seems to be the age that men would like women to stay. So, yeah, so now there's this this, um, sex robot in production called Harmony who will basically fulfil all of your dreams. I just find it deeply disturbing that just the idea of just reducing women to these very kind of docile and submissive Submissive. and um you know also the impact that that has on again go back to porn as an example on sex education a lot of kids learn or attend to learn oh my god when i spoke to cindy this morning she was talking about her make make love not Mm -hmm. porn um site and and i was expressing to her that having an 11 year old son you know i'm sort of concerned because this is probably the age that he's sort of starting to look at all of that stuff and she was saying oh oh no no like it, it you know it's likely that he might have seen stuff when he was eight or even six and that just seems to be how how True. young and then if, if that's are. the way they're learning yeah 
course yeah. they're completely clueless when it comes to real life thing yeah. because it does not work on like oh you're staring at her and automatically she's mm. already <laughs> it's like yeah. that doesn't work that I way I delivered a pizza <laughs> mm. yeah yeah this is wow. scary it's, it's totally scary to so me. how how do we I was gonna say how do we get this under control control is maybe the wrong word but how do we bring more light to this to yeah. show that it is a it's, a, it's potentially oh, look, yeah, a massive look, issue don't get me wrong like I am no prude Mm. at all like I, I, I the sexual side of it doesn't worry me at all it's the existential mm. side of it mm-hmm. for women in particular I mean to be fair you can buy male sex dolls and, and they will make a male robot I just think that we have enough problems with how we reduce women to sort of one function or to how they look and how you know how sexually attractive they are that that seems to be you know the the standards by which women are judged uh, and if you have this this robot that does the, both of those things perfectly, that's like amplifying the only two values that people seem to care about women for. But I, it's just the humanity of it. It just I just find it really icky, mm. icky, icky, icky. Do we? And I'm playing devil's advocate here. Yeah. <coughs> do we have to go through this in order to come out the other side to where it is more balanced? In the sense that we we have to get into this icky stage for mm. everyone to go because I'm 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 feeling very icky about this mm. straight away. Mm. Do we have to go through this where everyone is it becomes a bigger thing and then everyone goes no thank you and then we can well there progress. are people already sort of comp- complaining about this and like really objecting to the idea already. Mm. Um, but I also think it's get women designing these sex dolls. Like, I, I know, I, I'm not about the sex not being, if you, if you want to have a sex doll, fine by me, but get, that's why I was asking is, are, are there men designed, is it mm. designed by men for men? I think that's the problem. You always get a biased mm. result, but it's like get a bunch of people in there and design the best. Designed sex, by committee. Design, yeah. <laughs> design the best sex experience for everyone. And, I, and uh, you know, I'm all up for that. But the, the fact that it is, indeed portraying women as one single thing is mm. what gets my heart it's yeah i know it's kind of, it's kind of like, i just want to ask men the question though it's like really what is actually so attractive about that somebody some some thing not even somebody saying yes 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 you're amazing yes yeah i think know, it's like, the same thing as if you get likes on instagram don't you validation i think i think we can't generalize because it, to me there's there's nothing attractive about that at all mm. thank Most, you for bringing the same male voice to the conversation yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but clearly there are men out there who who feel there is mm. um i don't understand that as, as i don't understand a lot of things that people do these days i think i think a, a lot of it actually is genuine loneliness so it's not mm-hmm. just that's also right. really poignant if i was a young male i would probably feel that sense of entitlement as well because our culture does tell mm-hmm. tell young men that you know the world will be yours and when you sort of you know especially now where things are, are changing slightly and they feel like that they're, they're having those privileges taken away from them and they're, they're angry. They're confused. And they're yeah. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. confused. That's, I, a, that's a really good word. So my, my son is 19. Yes. White, um, male, um, privileged. Yeah. Um, and we, we talk about this quite a bit mm. because I feel like I'm, I've got a family, a loving family, and you know, yeah. I feel very lucky yeah. um, where he's entering into that world and it's such a different world. So he'll ask me advice and I'll like, I don't really have advice. I've mm. got dated advice that's no longer relevant. Yeah. Um, 
and he he's very confused and very worried and it's that thing where he never realized he was privileged mm. but now mm-hmm. now he does mm-hmm. and now it, because because he's losing stuff yeah that wasn't his to have in the in the first mm-hmm. place so it's interesting isn't it where does it all lead Oh, God. Revolution. <laughs> um, I've had one too many drinks last night to answer that question. <laughs> um, where does it all lead? I think it will be a revolution. I actually asked Cindy this morning, you know, because I get quite frustrated with the pace of change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like it just seems like it's really, really slow. And I said, as I said yesterday. How we go forward and then go back. Well, as I said yesterday, in, as part of my talk, I was talking about the importance of getting technologies like AI right and eliminating the, the bias that we know is in the, you know, because it's in the data is history, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it comes with its history of you can't eliminate the bias and the racism and all of those things from data. It's just in there. So um, we need to solve that problem and debug that bias before it can be used by any artificial intelligence because otherwise we're just going to perpetuate the same power imbalances we have and entrench them possibly worse. Mm. So we really need to sort of nail that problem because I often get frustrated. How how do we how do we move the needle? And and she she just said, look, it is every woman's responsibility. When you get talked over in a meeting, you call that out. When somebody else claims your idea, call it out straight away. Like the time to be polite about it is kind of over. Mm-hmm. You just need to bring it to people's attention because half the time. Uh, you know, people don't realise they're doing it because it's just been the status quo for so long. And uh, the more that you can bring attention to the fact that it's an issue, because most men want to do the right thing mm-hmm. and are probably understandably sort of mortified if you say, actually, I was speaking, can I finish what I was saying? And then just, it's just becoming aware of things. But I think you're in a great position as a lead to set the example for younger women who are working with you and see that happening because I feel that you're trained that way you know Mm. you're trained that way and you're trained over oh the boss typically Mm -hmm. a man Mm -hmm. can talk on top of anyone and that's fine but when you see someone do it for the first time you're like okay I'll I'll also do that Mm. and 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 that goes back to the problem of lack of women in leadership roles Mm -hmm. to set that example in the first place yeah but that's why I'm super excited to have you here. Oh, <laughs> Simply you. because you're, yeah, you're one of them. And it's like when, oh, when yeah. I saw you back I mean, at that lobby, I was like, yes, yes. Yeah. I, I <laughs> we think, need more you. <laughs> well, I know. And it's a shame that there aren't more because uh, and I was t- talking to somebody else about this. Like, you know, it's really unusual to, to have one career today. And I mean, I literally have not done anything else but this for 30 years. Although in that time, obviously, what when I say this, I say it in air quotes because this has changed dramatically Um, so it is almost like a a changing career every sort of couple of years but but what I think is fascinating is actually a lot of women probably disappear yes there might be sort of practical reasons women get paid less so it makes sense for them to drop out if they have children blah, blah 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 but I think there's a bit of a crisis of confidence with uh women and I remember you know starting out I was full of confidence when I was in my, you know, early 20s and I could do anything. In fact, I could probably do things better. This probably sounds familiar, you know, with, with all the millennial debates you have. I could probably, have, I thought I could probably have done things better than the more experienced people in the room because you're just full of confidence and, yeah. and energy and mm-hmm. optimism and everything. 
And I feel like what happens to women is the longer they're in the washing machine of design and all any kind of career, I suppose, the more your confidence erodes because we do have that little voice inside us that's constantly saying, oh, you know, should I say anything? Should I not? I heard a really interesting perspective about this at the Women in Leadership Breakfast that Adobe ran the other day, is that when you hear that little voice saying, I'm not good enough or, you know, yeah, hang back, don't, put, don't contribute that idea, you know, that is actually the voice of gender bias talking to mm. you. So anytime you hear something like that, that's actually that's actually inequality because women have just internalised. It's, it's impossible not to, uh, over a lifetime, internalise all the messages and and not take that on board. And so it's not that, you know, we need to fix women or there's a problem with women and, um, you know, we just need to give them more mentoring or we need to, you know, really... This, that, that idea really annoys me because it, it implies that women need to be brought up to the level of men mm-hmm. in order to compete on that that playing field when actually, you know, it's sort of almost like a, a by, just a byproduct of the fact that we are constantly told that we don't measure up, that, that it's just a self-actualizing truth for us at times. How, how are things at Fjord? Like, we were talking about a lot of women in leadership. Yeah. Are you conscious of that? Do you do it? On purpose, like what? How does it work? What is, well, what is at, dynamics? well, in Melbourne, it's it's absolutely fantastic because uh, a lot of our uh, like our most senior group design director is female, mm-hmm. and she actually was a couple of years, I think, behind me at at the same design school. Oh, really? So yeah, so we're both we've both been around for a long time, and we've got several other members of our leadership team are female. We have an an amazing amazing leader in Bromman van der Werma. She is um, just such an inspiration for all the women in, in the business. She's the head of APAC. She's incredible. For a lot of the men as well. She's yeah, just an amazing absolutely. person. She yeah. is, isn't she? She's just so, such the right mix of personality and authenticity and mm. just passion. Intelligence, yeah. Oh, so intelligent. So, yeah, we're really, we're really fortunate there. Yeah, I mean, look, I think Fjord is, is quite balanced, but it's... It's hard, isn't it? Because design always seems to be a little bit more male-dominated. Mm-hmm. Well, every field, you know. <laughs> but I think we're, we're sort of in a good place. We've talked about this before. Yeah. And, and the real the thing I never understand is if you look at design studies mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. universities, and it, it is easily 70% female. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where why is, is that not transferring to the industry? Well, I think that a lot of women drop out because they look at the women who are more senior to them and ahead of them and they look, they see the sacrifices that have been made and just think, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And they drop out because there's not enough women leaders there being showing how it can be done successfully because women do pay a price generally for mm-hmm. being in leadership roles. You can be respected or you can be liked, but you can't really have mm-hmm. both, you know, and that's just something that just doesn't happen to men. I've been working on uh, parental policies at work and talking to a lot of mum and dads around it and motherhood seems to be one of those areas where there's a dropout or mm. coming back to work. Yes, yes. Mm. Uh, but it's not because... It's often, it's often said that it's people change priorities and they, they do, but it's also the lack of part-time jobs when you come back yeah, or yeah. like yeah, the, the, the flexibility, the flexibility like, uh, around these new responsibilities that you have as a mother yeah. hasn't changed. No, that's right. How do you feel about being talked about in that leadership role for females in design? 
In, in what way? Are you a reluctant leader or... Oh, God, no. Bring it on. God, no, bring it on. I think... Oh, that was actually what I was going to say before about my talk. I... Uh, as part of it, I, I explained that um, you know, we have all of these IND programs being rolled out in every office, on every corner, including Accenture. I'm actually the uh, gender lead, the IND gender lead um, in Melbourne, so it's my responsibility to keep an eye on, on, on our stats and things. So it was, I was looking at the uh, report from the World Economic Forum last year, and by every measure of female empowerment globally, it's stalling. And in some cases, actually going backwards. I've heard this. So yeah. there's a lot of noise around. Oh, but women are equal. You know, um, mm. we've had equality for ages, and all this kind of stuff. That's just it, you might get that impression because there's a lot of noise around it at the moment. But the stats are not bearing that out. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that just requires eternal vigilance. You know, you can't just assume that. Well, we're on the path to, you know equity and equality uh but it's it won't happen organically <laughs> malcolm gladwell uh in his podcast i think it was like the second episode or something he talked about this and i can't remember what he called it but almost this thing where we do something right and that yes. allows us to yes. do something bad next yes yeah i've forgotten the name of that theory, yeah. but yes but it's a, right. we're almost in that you know it has been at the forefront of yep. all we've been talking about so it allows us now to kind of sweep it back into the carpet for a little bit. Yeah, and that's also why um, you'll see panels that are made up of, say, four men and one woman, and everyone thinks, oh, we've covered off the woman thing, so because they've got... Actually, Bob Easton, our ANZ lead for Accenture, has publicly stated he will not go on any mm-hmm. on any panels that don't have 50-50 representation. And so, should, should it be 50-50? Because you talked about the stats before. And I've talked to quite a few people who feel it almost needs to be the other way for a while. That's an interesting point of view. I think I would be happy just with a reflection of the actual real world. You know, I don't know whether we need to go the other way. I think in all aspects too, it's not mm-hmm. just men and women, but some people of colour and some, you know... People with disability. People, yeah, all mm-hmm. of that. I mean, I, it's not just about gender. It's very much about inclusion as well. I think that that's vital that's a vital part of the the whole thing but yeah just hearing different voices from different people with different Mm. viewpoints rather than a homogenous one is yeah it it is entertaining it is interesting that's where you get the best things that's right it's 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 not it's it's common sense get get a bunch of really that's right people that think differently in in a room in a panel or whatever and have an amazing discussion rather than people that have grown up the same way that are For me, it's a no-brainer. It's yeah. just, and, and sometimes you encounter things like it's really hard or women don't want to come to the panel or you like, just do your job. There's yeah. so many, it's just go yeah. out there. There's so many, so many people that it are is, keen yeah, to. It, it's actually, I mean, look, a lot of people would literally rather be in a coffin than give the eulogy at a funeral. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like people hate public mm-hmm. speaking. But I think it's really important to get your voice heard. I mean, I, I actually hated, hated speaking in public but that's one of those things that's really good for stretching you so I think that's that's really important but what I was going to say before about it's it's not just diversity on panels but it's what Cindy said yesterday is diversity on design teams Mm -hmm. as well is super important Mm -hmm. and that can be a problem in design which is very white I would love to have some indigenous designers on our team so if there's any listening out there can you please 
come at like please <laughs> write me a, an email because you know those voices are, need to be heard like I said I, I would ideally love our studio to reflect the real world mm-hmm. you know it's not always easy uh, but yeah it's a it's a it's a good time actually to be a woman and to have difference mm-hmm. because it's not about those norms anymore diversity is being celebrated right now mm. it's, it's your time Yes. I mean, this is all pointless anyway because we're living in a computer program. <laughs> <laughs> nice transition. Oh, I, I like I this. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably the clunkiest way I've ever heard. You should have heard what I did earlier. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> He's getting yeah. better. Right. I know, are you setting me up to, to be a laughing stock at this point? Because I, this idea, I know I talked about it in Brisbane. And I was actually really interested when I was up on stage, I was looking out in the audience and going, holy shit, you know, is this a career-limiting move I've just made? <laughs> what happened? I, mi- I okay, missed this okay, Brisbane right. thing. Can you just tell me? Okay. Okay, so what happened was, you know, I, I spoke the first year, like in, mm-hmm. in 2017, and I sort of wrapped up, you know, did a bit of an AI 101 and sort of talked about developments and things like that. And then... You could hear a pin drop, like the, the audience was just out there going... Uh. I remember, I, I was there on the oh, first one. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of feedback about that. And it kind of is one of those wake-up things. So I thought I would be up there just saying stuff that everybody knew mm-hmm. because surely everyone reads, you know, you know, stuff that's going on in the world. But uh, sometimes designers can be quite insular and they sort of uh, get stuck in actual design. I mean, this stuff is going to affect design anyway. I'm mm-hmm. looking at some of the stuff that Adobe showed yesterday using artificial intelligence. Like, it's coming for us all. It's like, here, yeah. Yeah, it, and it's, yeah. Um, whether it takes our jobs or not needs to be revealed later but anyway yeah so um and then when when i was when matt haynes reached out to me again had a speaker pull out could you could you appear again this year i was like oh god what am i going to talk about and i'd just been to south by southwest and like just there was some very very interesting ideas um one of the one of the ones that really got to me was this idea of all of us actually running lines of code in our head and that things like emotions are actually algorithms mm-hmm. and that's why we all share the same the same kind of reactions to things or you know you get um phenomena like mass hysteria and things like that it's actually because we're all running the same lines of code in our heads and that that really made me interested and in this idea you know Elon Musk famously says there's like a one in however many i think he says 30 million billion i can't remember the exact figure there's a one in whatever that figure is chance of us not living in some kind of simulation and yeah and he cites gaming like Mm -hmm. looking at the gaming industry as an example of how that could be possible and it's it is true i mean like you look back to the early i mean the first game was pong and how how completely rudimentary that was and then you look at the games being produced today the increase in fidelity and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And of course, with, you know, other technologies like VR, AR, whatever, then being inside that, you know, and thinking then about technologies like Neuralink or some kind of cortex cover that'll directly interface with the cloud. Like, And we're not that far away from also replicating how the brain actually works, being able to download your consciousness mm-hmm. or a copy of your consciousness yep. into some kind of computer simulation. I mean, that... That technology is coming, so it's not really that much of a stretch to imagine that that's what we already are doing, mm. but we just don't know it. 
That's like the Black Mirror episode again. Yeah, yeah. The one where you I, that you die, but you're actually living a, another life. Yeah, San Junipero. Yes, San Junipero. I, I used that. I used that example of in that talk of of how it could be possible. I remember watching it with my parents, blown away, and having a conversation after with mom and dad, and I was like, "Would you?" because <laughs> mom was like oh I'd love to live with you forever to dad mm. and dad's like no this is horrible <laughs> uh, I would want to die rather than live eternally yeah so that kind of like ethical debate but then afterwards dad is like and who who he looked at mom and he's like but why do you think I would like to live an eternal life with you I've already had you for one life to my mom right. <laughs> I was like oh I'm like actually yeah it is true because you have one life with one partner mm how why are you assuming that i'm going to have you forever mm. if i do choose to mm. to stay in that conscious world yeah that episode yeah. did bring up those themes on yeah i know <laughs> forever is a bloody long time right forever it is to anything you you could back out couldn't you from that episode you could decide to leave yes but i, th- I think seem to recall that after a while you'd forget you forget yeah that, yeah so oh, but, but it's coming back living. coming back to that robot idea of you, you can be conscious of the idea that you're talking to an artificial intelligence that's programmed to respond a certain way, but after a while of doing it, you forget that that's actually, and you imbue it with that, you know, yeah. that self-determination. So that's the same kind of So you brought thing. that up at Brisbane and... And, yes. <laughs> and you could yeah. hear a pin drop when and the everyone was sat like, there. Stunned. What is happening? So, so Chris Sowersby, you know, the guy that did the mm-hmm. beautiful, oh, he does beautiful work, 100% New Zealand, uh, pure New Zealand logo that created the typeface for that, sidled up to me afterwards and just was like, do you really think we're living in a simulation? Uh, and I kind of went, you know, uh, what have I done here? But um, yeah, I actually said yes, I do, because I I, th- I I can't see how we're not, <laughs> which is probably yeah a bit controversial. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, no one else has come up with a better idea as to why we're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, absolutely. If you read, uh, I'm into quantum physics yes, now. Yes, uh, totally. Quantum computing, quantum yep. mechanics. I'm like, yep. it kind of makes sense. It it yep. makes no sense that this is the one way the one dimension we're yeah. talking with estella who works she's an artist in the virtual reality and augmented mm. reality mm-hmm. realm mm-hmm. as well as the real reality and it was amazing how you look back and you might be like we're only in one dimension like how how do you even think that that's yeah. possible yeah like that that's very narrow-minded to think mm-hmm. that this is it yeah so yeah so i'm um, yeah i'm with you mm. <laughs> it's a, well it's interesting to think about and look you know, while I was actually putting that talk together, it was very much on my mind. And, you know, I, I find myself just looking at things and going, is this really real? Like, you know, going up to a tree with the leaves on it and just looking at it and just going, can I see the pixels? You know? <laughs> 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 well, obviously not because, the, you know, that when the way it's quantum, quantum physics, those particles will be so small that, you know. Mm-hmm. Until you have aug- augmented eyeballs yeah. Yeah. and then you'll be able to zoom in. Yeah. Like Estella was talking about how she could just zoom into things I or, know, or minimise things. Mm. I think and there's also something that, that kind of is really, really interesting, which I didn't include in it, but, you know, if anybody's interested, go and have a look it up. The double slit theory. Very, very small particles, like photons or whatever, behave differently when they're being observed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's, that's a really interesting mm-hmm. experiment. 
that. But also, that, that is the premise of quantum, right? Because yeah. when you're back yeah. into, as long as you don't observe these atoms, yeah. they do whatever they're in multiple yeah. saying, multiple places at the same That's time. Right. And then as soon as you observe them, which is yeah. just getting your head around that, that yeah. it's like they've made a call. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, mm. if you scale that up... It's, yeah. And I love that in relation to the idea of, of gaming, again, mm. because, you know, a game renders as you move to different parts of it. It yeah. renders it, you know... Completely, like, yes. I've and, never thought of it. Yeah, yeah and yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of... That's it a really do, yeah, interesting idea. It doesn't need to render the whole thing, does it? No, just... Saves, what it's saves saves energy. Energy. Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> wow, that might be a good time to uh, end. <laughs> Pin drops. Are you still a Elon Musk fan? Elon Musk. Yeah. Yeah, he's sort of been a bit, bit all over the news. Like, look, there's some part of me. Oh, yeah, I am. A, I am. A, Forever. Yep. Yeah. I, mm. Because, you know why? Because no one else is doing anything, you know? He's actually, we're not going to solve any problems by not trying, you mm-hmm. know? Whether he gets it right or wrong is kind of a little bit, he's, got, he's just doing something. So I'm a big believer in, in that. I think he's, yeah, he could be. Saviour, he could be an idiot. At the moment, I'm sort of hoping he's more of a saviour because no one else is doing... I mean, they're coming out here and um, fixing South Australia's energy problem mm. and, you know, just just do something. Like, I think his detractors should just get out of their armchairs. Where can people find out more about you and not the Prue Jones who won Realtor of the Year award <laughs> last You know year. what? Funnily enough, she was my landlord... At no. The, yeah, no. yeah, she was. <laughs> and I still have also people ring me up that I went to school with going, I'm, I'm trying to buy a house, can you help me? No, I don't even own my own house. <laughs> Probably of no use to you whatsoever. So, um, no, that's, that, but that is hilarious. What are the, what are the chances of, of um, there being two Prue Joneses on it? It's so hilarious because I'm so – I have a Twitter profile, but I never use it. I, I'm actually more active on Instagram – and I think my handle is Prudence M Jones. Because mm-hmm. you know, I confirm. Thank you. Being <laughs> being more more visual, um, you can find me on LinkedIn, I guess. Yeah, and if anything that I've said is interesting, please by all means get in touch. Joe, where can people find out more about you? They can find more about me through for at for the people. So Joe at for the people agency. I am like you, all of my social, I don't have Facebook, everything else is in lockdown, so, so yeah, or LinkedIn, yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> or just classic postcard, send it over. I like to think that I started a trend with all this about not caring about social media or just being so lazy that yeah. you didn't actually do it. <laughs> yeah. You can find this episode more at ozdesignradio.com and you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram and SoundCloud at AUSDesignRadio. Thank you so much, Prue. It's been a long time Thank coming you. and oh. you didn't disappoint. Thrilled to be here. Thank, Thank you, you very much. <laughs>